When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Kia ora, good morning. It is four past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy through until Christmas. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of sport to talk. Some big, big news out of the world of rugby. Overnight, if you've missed it, Warren Gatlin, he's been released from his contract with the Chiefs. He is back as the head coach of Wales. Wayne Pivak has been shown the door, and that is one big piece of news. In fact, currently as we speak, Warren Gatlin is speaking to media, and uh, we'll bring you some of that a little bit later on, some of the things that he's had to say as he bows out of New Zealand football to go back and take charge of Wales into the 2023 World Cup with an option to take the job through to 2027. Uh, We're also hearing Chris Foy, friend of the show, the head rugby writer for the Daily Mail, He is reporting that tomorrow Eddie Jones will be sacked. So that'll be overnight New Zealand time. And Steve Borthwick will replace him. And uh, that means England to pull the trigger as well. Two international coaches fired in two days in world rugby. We are going to be talking to Andy Howe, uh, Welsh rugby journalist out of uh, Wales shortly about all of that and get his reaction. Also, uh, we are going to be... Uh, talking uh, with you as well because the SENZ Caller of the Month will win a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue as well. So we've got that and we'll take your calls a bit later on. After 10 o'clock, we're going to talk some NFL. Uh, Shiraz Soysa, the head coach of New Zealand's national flag football team, is going to join us. We'll talk week 13 of the NFL. We've got a panel starring Blair Strang and Aidan McLaughlin. We're going to talk rugby. We're going to talk the FIFA World Cup. We're going to talk baseball. Actually, what's going to get more attention today, Warren Ball or Baz Ball? We'll figure that out as we go through the panel. Dan O'Hagan, uh, football commentator out of the UK, is going to join us as well. After 11, we're going to talk the World Cup. If you missed it, Croatia, they knocked the Japanese out on penalties after it finished one all at full-time and after extra time. Currently, just kicking off the second half, Brazil 4-0 up against Korea, and that is pretty much done and dusted. Uh, We'll bring you any more highlights from that half as it progresses throughout the hour. Time now, though, to head to the UK and catch up with Andy Howell from, well, formerly Wales Online, now freelance rugby journo. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. A busy day over here, you know, with uh, Warren Gatlin. There's lots else been happening as well in Welsh rugby and then over the border, you know, possibly Eddie uh, Jones getting fired as well. Yeah, yeah, lots going on, mate. I I did wonder how much of this, from your point of view, is relief Wayne Pivak's gone or just joy that you've got Gats back? Well, relief that Pivak is gone, but uh, they had to get the right bloke in to do the job. So there's joy that Gatlin is back. You know, they shouldn't have never got rid of uh, Gatlin in the first place. He only left because they, they, the, 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 the WIU regime at that time didn't offer him a new contract. So they lost him, lost Sean Edwards, because they had this vision of playing the Welsh way, throwing the ball around. And as we know, 
it doesn't work at international level because it's the test rugby so tough. It's all about collisions. You've got to have a good set piece. And if you can't get consistent front football and your players haven't got the skill, which I would say Welsh players haven't, it was impossible to play that uh, uh, that way. So that dream has uh, ended and it's back to reality with Gatland and good old Warren Ball. Good old Warren Ball indeed. Uh, there's been changes in Welsh rugby at the head. Uh, Yane Evans now in charge, isn't he? I mean, how much of this do you think is down to him? Well, well no, that's a bit of a mis- misnomer really. Yane Evans in charge. He, he's... He, chairman of the WIU, obviously, because he was voted on the WIU. But really, people under this uh, uh, misconception, that people like Yian and the, and the elected committee run the WIU, they don't. They've got professional officers. So if you like your local, like Auckland Council in New Zealand, really, it's the chief executive and all the paid officers, highly paid officers, uh, I suggest, which they are in the Welsh Rugby Union, who they come up with most of the stuff. They, and it's just most of the stuff is rubber stamped by the WIU. So it's the paid executives really who are really in charge of it, you know. Yeah, and, and has there been much turnover since 2019 of, of those roles? Because, I mean, it was them, obviously, that have made the call not to offer uh, Warren Gatlin a new contract at that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the chief exec, the former chief executive, Martin Phillips, and uh, the ex-chairman uh, of the Welsh Rugby Union, Gareth Davis, the ex-Wales and Lions, Outside half have both left the Welsh Rugby Union. Davis was voted out and uh, Martin Phillips uh, left for, for uh, elsewhere. Uh, I can remember the moment, the pivotal moment, actually took place in New Zealand in a Wellington hotel in 2016 when they had a review into Wales's performance of the 2015 World Cup and concluded they didn't play the Welsh way. So, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall for, for Gatland uh, from them on. And if he hadn't drawn our Lions uh, series as Lions head coach with New Zealand in 2017, there was a real possibility then he wouldn't have come back to Wales. Well, I mean, there was some talk that he might be considered for the England job. So, I mean, have have Wales just oh, gone oh, early on that, do you think? No, no. I think it looks like if Eddie gets fired, which, you know, I've sort of been predicting for a couple of years that Eddie's losing the dressing room. It always happens in all his jobs. It always sort of ends in... Uh, in uh, uh, mayhem and you know play loses the players and so that's not a surprise but it looks like they're going for Steve uh, Borthwick uh, from Leicester who if anything Bordwick's uh, uh, the style of uh, Leicester is more boring than Warren Ball so uh, the English fans might be falling asleep if he gets a job although he's a good technical operator he's a good assistant in my opinion not that yeah so Gatlin though I would have thought if he had a choice between England and Wales, I suspected or expected that he would have gone for England because they got a much better chance of winning the World Cup. Mm, yeah. The players. The suit is, is the Warren Ball, which he likes to call a power game, which suits the Gatlin power game. And they got the guys of the size and, um, and uh, size and strength in depth to really be World Cup contenders. Uh, and I'm sure he would have, you know, he would have got him play. They would have been playing for him straight away. He's coached a lot of them with the Alliance, and he's got that, that much respect in this part of the world. All the trophies he's won, they straight away galvanise him. And it's like with Wales now, Gatland straight away, straight away. There's an air of confidence on Gatland. He said the right things today. You know, what I built up the players immediately, talented group of players, do etc. etc. Just need a bit of uh, sort of uh, honing, fashioning, and all that. So he's saying the right things straight away, and he is a top class operator. Yeah, he is a top-class operator. He hasn't worked back in New Zealand rugby, which is interesting. I mean, I know we've talked about that in the past, but when he came back to take over the Chiefs, you know, they finished dead last, and uh, the following season when he was with the Lions, uh, they won the thing. So uh, I don't know what that means in terms of, or how that's read yeah. in you Wales. Know, 
Yeah, well, do you know what? With those uh, with the Chiefs' first season back, they lost so many games by a few points that you know it could have gone the other way. That's what it's like isn't it? at the, the, the top level. But yeah, um, yeah, in Wales, Gatlin, you know, he does split opinion, mind. People are never satisfied, do they? Gatlin's got this extraordinary record. He presided over the Wales' third golden era, you know, which was on par the pre-First World War team. And the 1970s, great. You know, he's won, I think it was four or five, six nations titles. His Lions successes. Wales have reached two World Cup finals, and uh, semi-finals, sorry, under, um, under Gatland. So he's got a strongly record. But you know, people are moaning about, oh, they don't like his style of play. Well, his style of play is fashioned on the talent of those Welsh players. Because, as I said earlier, they haven't really got a skill set to play anything too pretty. So it's a ba- Welsh players like game plans. So it's a pretty simple game plan. Gatlin gave him the ownership of tactics, etc. back in 2010, and he had to curtail it uh, after a few months because the players couldn't do it, and B, the players didn't want to do it. They prefer to be ordered around Welsh players. It's a bit different to New Zealand players who take decisions on the pitch and often play off the cuff. The um, the Pivac era then, uh, I mean, he was playing the, the supposedly the Welsh style. How will that be remembered? And I mean, you know, they were a more open team, I guess, the Welsh, but they conceded a lot of points under him, didn't they? Well, I disagree with that. They weren't a more open team under Pivac. He came in, they said, well, they were going to, so say, play, uh, you know, that open brand of rugby and all, and it only happened in a few games. Uh, you know, most of the time, they were just kicking, you know, they just kick the ball away, you know, and, and we're losing the aerial battle, so what was the point kicking the ball away? It was largely a kicking, uh, kicking game. And the biggest, uh, uh, you know, the biggest um, uh, thing that happened really was what you just said, defence broke down. Mm. It was certainly not like it was when Sean Edwards was in charge. Now, that broke down because my understanding is that the players lost confidence in Pivac and his backs coach, Stephen Jones, the ex-Wales Lions, outside half. So, you know, I think he lost the dressing room. Myself, you know, Pivac's a nice guy, good, mm. really nice bloke, and it just hasn't worked for him. Uh, but one could argue, you know, what other major rugby nation would have appointed Wayne Pivak as their head coach in the first place? Yeah, there were, wouldn't have been too many. I wouldn't have thought. Uh, I mean, the other I thing that I've any. yeah, there, there would have been. There, I've seen a bit of uh, talk about uh, some of the lineups he chose, not having enough big ball carriers. He, he went more with the, the sort of the mobile uh, loose trio. He was almost had like three sevens out there uh, at a time yeah. uh, at times with Wales. Yeah, How do you see that personnel fairness, changing in, under in, Gatlin? Yeah, well, in fairness, because of injuries and uh, lack of depth. So we have, you know, we've struggled for ball carriers. So uh, Gatlin's going to have to tackle him uh, himself. But uh, there's a few guys who weren't in, involved in the autumn. Ross Moriarty, Lion, in New Zealand uh, a few years ago. Aaron Wainwright, who Gatlin thinks is a really good player. You know, they are big back rowers who can carry the ball as uh, well. So uh, Gatlin will find ways around it. But, you know, Wales are short of lock forwards. And they've got serious injuries in that department. You know, the veteran Alan Wynne Jones is sort of hanging on um, past his prime, but hanging on. Um, so he's probably going to have to do a job in the Six Nations along with some others because their best lock forward, Will Rowlands, is out for a few months. He, he got injured. Um, uh, was that guy? It might even be against New Zealand, actually, against, you know, in the, in the autumn. Mm. So, um, yeah, they have got problems. Wales are underpowered. Um, the front row, uh, Ken Owens, all, another old stager. A lot of team over 30, you know, is a really old squad in the um, autumn. You know, he's, he, 
Hooker was going to obviously carry a lot of responsibility and carry the carry the ball. They're struggling at prop. Uh, the scrum is poor. Now I suspect Gatlin will improve that because in the past he found ways to get it better. And I also think uh, Gatlin will go really hard on the fitness. Again, the Welsh players are fitter because some of them look like they've been grazing too well and we're carrying too much beef in the autumn. <laughs> I like the way you put that, grazing too well. Um, in terms of time, I guess it helps that Gatlin knows the Welsh system and probably a lot of the players quite well. Uh, I think a lot of countries have talked about you know, New Zealand rugby being one of them around Foster and I know England around Eddie Jones. Is it's, it's too close to the World Cup to pull the trigger, but do you, th- do you think that uh, that's the case with this Gatlin appointment or not? No, I think it'd be uh, business as normal. You know, just, uh, you know, he's been away okay for a few years, but I think it'd be straight back to business because there's still quite a few of the same uh, players involved. And do you know what? Gatlin uh, was Wales coach from uh, 2008 to 2019. And the players, even at the end of his uh, reign, the players still held him in hall, you know, and uh, some players were still scared of him as well. He had such an aura about him, you know, uh, because in some ways he can be a bit aloof keep us away from the players. I believe there's some players he never actually spoke to on a one-to-one basis. Mm. So Gatlin has got this aura about him and how he conducts himself that the players are still, you know, get like, so the word is in fear of him. You know, they, and uh, so he's got this thing. So he'll be back to business and straight away, Welsh performances will pick up. I've got no doubt about that straight away. Yeah. Straight back to the old normal. Yeah. All right, Andy. And uh, just before I let you go, on Steve Borthwick, I had Martin Gillingham on last week, and he said Borthwick would be a step backwards for England. They needed an international coach. What's your take on that? Yeah, mine as well. Like I said, I think he's a good forwards coach, but I wouldn't have him as head coach. I think he's still playing dark, uh, rugby from the dark ages. That, uh, you know, slow. One-up rugby, slow. And, um, you know, it's a bit more to the game than that. Uh, these days, you know, Borthwick would be good working under... Gatland, dare I say it. But, uh, you know, if you want to excite people uh, in the future, they've got to look England after the World Cup. They've got to look at someone like uh, probably like Scott Rob- Robertson or, uh, you know, to uh, they need that sort of help to take them forward. Or, dare I say it, Warren Gatland, because today now it's been, parade, you know, uh, the Gatland deal oh, is until 2027. 20, That's not true. There's an opt as an opt. It's an, option. it's an option on the contract after the World Cup next year. Yeah. So Gatner might be boxing clever here, seeing what happens with England. Dare I say it? Same, seeing what happens with the All Blacks if um, if uh, they bomb out and Wayne Foster gets the boot. Yeah. Uh, Ian Foster, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you, no. you, you never know. Though I do think Gatman's chances on the All Blacks job is probably gone now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks very much for coming on, Andy. Really appreciate your time, mate. Go well, and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, having Warren Ball back. We certainly will. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Andy Howell there out of uh, Wales uh, talking the Gatlin uh, situation and now the head coach of Wales through to 2023, the option to 2027. It is 18 past nine here on SENZ. At 23 past nine here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo, in for Smithy. It's 4-0 Brazil over Korea still. Uh, 63 minutes gone in that way. Uh, in that one, that was the score at half time. Uh, now, Warren Gatlin has been named the Welsh coach from t- uh, till the 2023 World Cup with an option to go through till 2027. If you missed it, Andy Howell, uh, Welsh rugby journalist, was just saying he might be boxing clever. And, uh, you know, if Wales go right in the World Cup, 
he, he could be the next English rugby coach after the World Cup, which is a, which is an interesting point. Actually, I hadn't considered uh, Warren Gatlin just did a presser as well, and he had this to say about uh, his future as an All Blacks coaching prospect. Those opportunities come about from performance and results, and you get it. And there's there's one person at the moment in New Zealand who's you know who's been incredibly successful in terms of Razor and um, and. He deserves an opportunity because of the success he's had in New Zealand rugby. If that comes along uh, for him you know, in the next you know, the next period, there's you know there's only one standout person that, and New Zealand should be doing everything can to make sure they secure his services long term and going forward. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Gats backing Razor. Be interesting to see what NZR do. Ollie Ritchie from NewsHub the other day had a really good interview with Mark Robinson, who uh, said absolutely nothing. Uh, for five minutes when asked about whether or not New Zealand rugby were going to look to secure a coach now rather than waiting till the World Cup to be done. Uh, so let's see what happens on that front. Uh, Ken has texted through double eight double three as well. It's our temper bedpost text machine. He said Paul Tito has been added to the Blues coaching staff for next year. Thanks very much for your text, Ken. We'll keep an eye on that and all the other rugby news uh, right here on SENZ. It's 25 past nine. Coming up to 10 o'clock, confirmed t- uh, 4-1 Brazil beat Korea. Hey, you can bet live on your favourite sports by downloading the TAB app today. Don't have a multi for you today, but yesterday's, if you uh, got on it, well done uh, for getting on that and following it. And we had the uh, Celtics to beat the Nets. We had uh, Croatia and Japan, either team to win on penalties. And we had Richarlison to score for Brazil today. That came in. Uh, it paid uh, 18 it's just over $18. So uh, well done if you got on that one and uh, took that one to the bank. Coming up in the next hour on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, we're going to be talking NFL with Shiraz Soyser, New Zealand's national flag football team coach. And we've got a panel with Blair Strang and Aidan McLaughlin as well. It's three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Coming up, we have a panel at around 10.20 with Ben Strang from RNZ and Aidan McLaughlin. We'll talk Warren Ball, Baz Ball, the FIFA World Cup and other things as well, including the Sevens. Right now, though, time to talk NFL with Shiraz Soyser, head coach of New Zealand's national flag football team. G'day, Shiraz. How are you? Hey, Ricardo, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, better than Lamar Jackson, I think. Uh, the Ravens had a real battle on their hands yesterday. They, they beat the Broncos 10-9 eventually uh, to move to 8-4, and four, which was a good result. But it looks like Jackson is definitely going to miss next week with, uh, what is that, a knee injury? Yeah, it looks like a knee injury. And, and it's not just next week, you know, when you have a dynamic player like that, have a knee injury that sort of takes away half his game as well. So... At least a week, but definitely hobbled for the rest of the season, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real shame. I mean, given how much um, the Baltimore offense relies on his dyn- dynamism, you know, I mean, he always keeps the uh, the defensive line guessing. They don't know whether he's going to throw, whether he's going to run, whether he's going to uh, shovel it. But I mean, chances are he's going to be running a lot less. Yeah, and you know, like I said, that's that's a shame. We really handicapped a, a huge part of their offense and, and you know, I think um their backup Q B is not too bad and Tyler Huntley if they um if they can re sign him, they sort of had him as you know, their sort of Lamar Jackson in the wings, their 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 version B, who sort of runs a similar game style. Um, but you know you can't really get the same thing. Um, and Lamar's a once-in-generation type of player. 
Yeah, well, exactly. And the, I mean, they are top of the AFC North, the Ravens, but the Bengals are breathing right down their neck with an 8-4 and four record as well after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. One that I've got to say I didn't see coming. Yeah, and look, I mean, the Bengals are one of, one of the, you know, one of my favourite teams from early in the offseason. I, I do think they are a team that sort of can take a while to get going. Um, they showed us that last year as well. Um, they, they, they you know, in, in the past, they have shown that if they can get hot close to the playoffs, Joe Burrow really is a player who can take them to the next level. So, you know, good to see them um, get a good win um, against Chiefs. And, and I do think they'll be top of the division by the end of the season. Yeah, it was, I mean, the AFC North had a good day yesterday. The Steelers won, the Browns won as well. Everybody's everybody's winning at the AFC North. Um, and that makes uh, the AFC uh, pretty interesting, given that the Bills also played the Pats in the AFC East. Um, the Bills got up and won that one. They're 9-3 over the Dolphins, who are 8-4. Then the Jets are 7-5. The Pats now 6-6. Six and six. Is that them done for a wildcard spot, do you think? Yeah, I think the Pats are probably out. Um, if anyone, it'll be the Jets, who are probably on the hot seat there, trying to get that last wild card. They sort of, you know, after a really strong start, they've been going in the wrong direction. And Mike White had, you know, a decent game, but um, I don't think they've got the firepower to get them through the rest of the season, to be honest. No. Uh, I mean, we talk about the Jets. They they ran the Vikings close yesterday, uh, 27-22, the final score, in Minnesota, which uh, was impressive from this Jets team. I mean... We've talked about it before, but I mean, the Jets have really come from nowhere. I don't think preseason anybody was talking about these guys being anywhere near close. Yeah, I mean, look, the scoreline was a little bit closer than the game suggested um, yesterday, twenty-seven, twenty-two, or whatever it was. It, I think the from memory, the Vikings put about twenty points before half time, um, but the Jets sort of came, you know, put up a good fourth quarter to come back into that. But look, the, the reality is, with the Jets season, things just, you know, they started well. They, they've got a They've got a reasonably good defense, um, but until they figure out their quarterback position, I don't really think they've got much of a chance of pushing on. Um, they've lost their star running back as well, so it's not like they've got you know, an extremely reliable running game to rely on, and that's usually been the only way a team can cover up for not having the quarterback position as well. Um, Mike White you know, threw for a bunch of yards, but he, you know, still no touchdowns, a couple of perks. Um, untimely ones of that as well. Uh, I do think that they've probably got an uphill battle on their hands. Uh, yesterday, we also saw um, the Philadelphia Eagles reassert their dominance. Uh, they do look really good at 11-1. and one. Over a Titans team who weren't the worst running around in the AFC, uh, they're now 7-5, and five, but 35-10 over the Titans. I mean, I thought the Eagles would, would win, but not by 25 points. No, and look, I think Jalen Hurts' class just really shines through. Um, I think that was a big difference in that game. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill and, 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 you know, couldn't really match that. And when you get down that far, what you do is you take away a team that has a strong running game because you can't run your way back into, you know, a 25-point deficit. Um, what that does is that, you know, I think they limited Derrick Henry to 10 or so carries in the game. And, and for them, really, they want him 20-25-plus carries to be able to really be efficient. So, so that's that's one thing they struggle with. They've, they've got to figure that out going forward. Um, for them to play, for Titans to play their style, their, their defense really needs to keep teams to much lower game scores. Uh, we saw also the Cowboys yesterday um, from the, also NFC East beat another AFC South team in the Colts, fifty four nineteen. Not often you see a team crack fifty in the NFL. The Cowboys now nine and three behind the Eagles at eleven and one, and that NFC East. 
I mean, is there a chance that we have all four teams postseason? Because with the Giants and the Commanders getting the tie yesterday, they still look both very good for the uh, for the wild card spots. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean that's uh, that, that's a tough division, isn't it? I mean, it used to be called the NFC least, yeah. um, just because none of those teams are sort of any good. But um, look, end of the day, I don't think the Giants and the Commanders are really at that level. I mean, they've, they've stuck away with a few wins here and there. Mm. Um, I do think you'll have, um, you know, the, the Eagles and the Cowboys in. Um, but when it's all said and done, I, you know, I'd be very surprised to see three of those teams. And I do think, well, sorry, all four of those teams. And I think there's a chance that there's a third team. Mm. Um, but right now, the challenge is, and sorry, just looking across the division, um, it's probably the, the, Seahawks, the real right? issue is how weak how weak the rest of the NFC is at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, so yeah. It will, Seahawks are probably the other team that will be in contention there. Yeah, I mean, looking um, at it, uh, I mean, the NFC South, I know we've got another game today, uh, which we'll get to, which is the Saints against the Bucks. But, I mean, the NFC South has become the NFC East of old, hasn't it? With you know the top team having a losing record, uh, and behind yeah. the Vikings and the NFC North, it's the you know the second team's the the Lions at five and seven. So it really is pretty open um, for the NFC East to have a couple of representatives. Yeah, look, I mean, just just looking back at it, I didn't realise how weak the rest of the division was. I thought Arizona had uh, probably a bit more of a sniff. But no, you're right. You probably could have all four teams, actually, uh, when it's all said and done. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks are probably the only team that can play spoilers there. Um, but yeah, it really shows how, um, you know, what you're probably seeing is how how much teams are influenced by draft classes as well. You know, the old, if you can't compete, you might as well, you know, have a good draft position, probably playing a little bit more of a role there. Yeah, uh, I mean, the... That uh, that team, the, I know we've mentioned the, the the Seahawks before as well in um, previous chats, but that was a team that was supposed to be um, in the rebuild, and here they are running the 49ers close in the in the NFC uh, West ahead of the Cards, as you mentioned, and the Rams. I mean, they were all teams that, on paper at the beginning of the season, we thought could potentially win that division, particularly the Rams, defending Super Bowl champions. Yeah, and look, I mean, um, they're also right now the second or the best offense in the NFC West, and I think the second or third best offense in the in the NFC. If you go from purely a points for basis, which you know, no one expected losing, um, you know, who uh, the quarterback in the off season, and yeah. and basically bringing in Geno Smith, who for all intents and purposes was really a journeyman, um, and and realistically a backup quarterback, who's who's shown that you know there is. There is some talent there, and and being able to utilise a offensive scheme to 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 work with them. So, yeah, pleasant surprise, and it's been a, been a fun team to watch. Yeah, they have been a fun team. Um, they 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 always play some good football. Uh, I tell you, there's an interesting story. Um, that may have a knock-on effect here. Um, the Panthers are nowhere near uh, playoff contenders, um, and that's been shown by the, the fact they've released Baker Mayfield, who, you know, for a long time has been talked about as a guy who could become something. But he's been cut by the Panthers. Uh, I guess his career at 27 is uh, in a very much a sliding doors moment, could go either way. But, I mean, given where the Ravens are, um, even the, the 49ers, given that the, their injury problems at, at quarterback, I mean, is he a guy that could come in and make a difference between now and, and, and postseason? Yeah, I mean, look, I think his best opportunity is if he gets a gig with the 49ers. Um, they would suit his play style quite well in that, you know, the running game takes the bulk of the load and he's got to run that run the play-action passing game off that. In saying that, I don't know if the 49ers are going to move away from Brock Purdy, a quarterback who's, you know, um, 
someone they drafted and been in their system now for the entirety of the off season. Gut feel is they they probably either stay with Purdy or, or they or they look at one of the options in free agency. But I'm not sure that Baker Mayfield will be able to make a big difference if he goes there. It'll be great for Baker Mayfield. I'm not sure if it's great for the 49ers. Mm. All right, mate. Uh, let's have a look before we let you go at today's game between the Saints and the Bucks. I mean, uh, when you're talking Tom Brady, you obviously expect him to have a great offense, but actually they lag behind the uh, the Saints in terms of offense at the moment, even though the Saints are only 4-8. and eight. I mean, this could be a game that potentially torpedoes the Bucks, couldn't it? Yeah, and look, really surprising to see the Bucks having one of the worst offenses in the entirety of the NFC. Um, and they've, they've got by far one of the best defences as well. So, you know, essentially what we needed was, was for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to really help the defence out a bit more. And it's very surprising that they haven't been able to do that with, with Tom Brady and what he's capable of. In saying that, I would not want to be the the team that has to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a wildcard team in the playoffs. Um, just because you know the talent's there. They've just got to put it together. Um the Saints, you know, they've, they've got a bit of talent on that team as well. They're still figuring out a few things, but they're another team that can make a run. I do think this game will be make or break. Um, the two th- teams that I think realistically should be the two challenges for the, the lead in that conference and, and get to see that on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the Bucks are paying a buck fifty-one. Um, the all the values in the Saints at two forty-five, isn't it? I mean, that's where I I would look. I mean, you could even take the Saints plus three at a dollar ninety-two. Yeah, look, I mean, that's that's. I do think that's a lot of value there. I don't think the Buccaneers are worthy of being, you know, um, strong favourites in this one. Uh, I do think it's a bit more of a fifty-fifty game. Yeah, indeed. All right, good stuff, Shiraz. Thanks for coming on today, mate. Always good to chat NFL with you, mate. We'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Nice one. Thanks, Ricardo. Go well, mate. Yeah, you too, bud. You too. Uh, Shiraz Soysa, the head coach of New Zealand's national flag football team, talking NFL with us. It is a quarter past ten here on SENZ. When we come back, it is the panel with RNZ's Ben Strang and Aidan McLaughlin. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Time for the panel. Aidan McLaughlin joins us out of the Hawks Bay. G'day, Aidan. How are you? Very good, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. And also from RNZ, Ben Strang. How are you, Ben? Yeah, good. Good. Thank you. It's a story. Uh, gentlemen, it's all. It's Warren Ball or Baz Ball. Where do you want to start, Aiden? <laughs> oh, I reckon Baz Ball. I think that would be a little bit more exciting, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Well, England, seven wins from eight tests under Brendan McCullum. Uh, ben Stokes has vowed to draw more fans to test cricket regardless of the results by playing exciting brand of cricket. I mean, what have you made of this? He's though Three of those tests were against the Black Caps. Of course, he's beaten India as well. Now, Pakistan and Pakistan, I mean, it's not to be sniffed at. I mean, short of the ashes, I don't think he could have done any better, could he, Aiden? No, I don't think he could. And uh, the the great thing is, well, I'm not sure if it's great for New Zealand, but the great thing is for um, for cricket fans in this country is that they've got two tests here early next year. So mm. it wouldn't surprise me at all if if ticket sales have ramped up a bit this morning for uh, I think it's Wellington and um, Bay Oval. So uh, yeah, that that'll be interesting come February time. But yeah, what what a five days it's been, and it seems a long time since England were actually worried they might even not be able to get a team out onto the field. So um, scored 506 runs on the first day, uh, most ever. 174 in the first session, most ever. I think four players made centuries on day one, and uh, they only got 75 overs in. And from there, it's just been a quite amazing uh, display of attacking intent. And if you ever wanted 
to see a team win because of their attacking intent. It was England last night, and it was actually pretty riveting. I watched the whole the whole evening session, and um, yeah, it was it was actually really good to see them get the job done. Yeah, it was it was entertaining cricket to to watch. Uh, ben, it sort of certainly puts a bit of uh, a microscope on how the Black Caps are going to go up there in uh, in about a month's time, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking actually is the the mindset change that England have gone through under Brendan McCollum has been massive. They were, you know, very clearly bogged down by this traditional test cricketing mindset that they had. Their batters looked like they were walking wickets for a while there before McCollum turned up, which was fun to watch. But um, th- those same batsmen, they've still got flaws in their game, but McCollum and Stokes have just got them batting looking for scoring opportunities, looking to use their strengths. And I can say that from experience playing, you know, rep cricket, when when a coach frees you up to do what you do well, the mindset change can just make such a big difference to your game. And and that's clearly happening for them. And, yeah, it does sort of put a microscope on on the New Zealand team because we probably haven't, you know, we, we had such a fantastic run, 2019-2020, uh, the World Chess Championship win, and you just wonder of late whether um, the the mindset does need a little reset for some of the players. Maybe maybe that would help things uh, because it hasn't been as exciting as it was. No, it hasn't been, and it's not just been in the Test arena either. I mean, I, it feels like while the Indian series uh, for the ODIs here, you know, I mean, the one game that we had completed was great. Uh, we looked con- we looked conservative in our approach to T Twenty as well, and I think T Twenty. Potentially, and I've said this before, has moved past both Gary Stead and Kane Williamson, Aiden. Yeah, I mean, out of the three formats at the moment, you'd have to say that ODI is certainly the one that seems to fit the black caps the best. Um, it just gives them that ability to be relatively conservative early on, but then they've still got time to kind of accelerate through, as we saw with Tom Latham in particular. Um, but yeah, the other two formats, they do seem to suffer a bit with just that little bit of conservatism. I think, you know, when New Zealand went to England back in June, um, they did have opportunities to win all three tests, but ultimately England chased down the scores in all three tests because they had that that attacking intent, that lack of fear. Um, And I just think, yeah, that it is, as Ben said, you know, it is really just they've been freed up to do that. And perhaps the the New Zealand players at the moment, they probably just haven't got that freedom of expression that... um, Consciously or subconsciously, but it's 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 not the same thing at all. No, I mean Ben, I, I saw somebody, um, I, I, and I can't remember who it was, so I apologise to them because uh, I thought it was an interesting point they made. Is that you know, is Brendan McCullum more attacking as a coach than he was as a captain? Because there was somebody who questioned whether or not some of the decisions England have made and the approaches they've made wouldn't have happened under McCullum if, McCullum if he was the captain. Uh, possibly, but um, if we go back to when he was the captain, especially those last couple of years, he was play- making some pretty drastic and aggressive decisions, particularly with his own batting when he came out and you know was belting hundreds in one session on a on a green top in Christchurch. You know things like that. Uh, it seems to be what England are now going to try to do with some of their players. He's just freeing up the batsmen. I think the the major difference between them and and New Zealand is that it's easy. Easy enough, I guess, to free up batsmen to to bat with, um, you know, intent and bat positively. It's another thing to set your bowling attack up to succeed, and they have an exceptional bowling attack. What worries me with the Black Caps at the moment is that 
I don't see who is coming through to to put pressure on the likes of Tim Southey uh, and co for their places. I don't see who these young bowlers are coming through. So Bolton Southey coming towards the end of their career, uh, that that really concerns me. Mm, yeah, it's a good point, actually. It's a really good point. I mean, in terms of swing bowlers, Aiden, I, uh, we've got lots of guys with heaps of pace, but not too many that are swinging the ball and you know, hooping the ball around. No, that's right. You could probably group five or six names together, couldn't you, and pick any any of them out and just say, okay, well they can they can do a job, but yeah, they're they're not quite at that level of Bolton Southie, and um, I think that you know that that's it. Would be interesting to see if Cole Jameson can come back. Mm. Uh, obviously, he's been a bit quiet this year, um, but uh, he had that great start to Test cricket. Hopefully, he can hit those heights again and hit them pretty quickly when he's back in the team. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit of FIFA World Cup. We'll get to Warren Ball after the news, but uh, Dominic Levakovic, the Croatian goalkeeper, man of the match in that, uh, he saved three penalties in the penalty shootout against the Japanese, and that Croatian team looked pretty solid. I think probably the best midfield at the World Cup so far, Ben. Yeah, possibly. Uh, the English midfield could be pretty handy as well, I guess, the way mm. Jude Bellingham was playing, but... Uh, but Croatia, yeah, uh, they 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 do they're doing what they did sort of last time, aren't they? They, I mean, they've they've really ground out this victory on penalties. Uh, now they'll come up against Brazil, and as good as Brazil have been in in stretches, you do wonder if Croatia are the type of team that can stifle them and and progress to a, a second straight semi final. They they just have so much quality in the middle of the park. I'll be very very interested to see how that game goes. I, I was hoping. Japan or South Korea could spring in an upset today. I would love to see one of them progress deep, uh, a la tw- uh, 2002 when when they were hosting. But uh, but you know it doesn't look like any of these upset sort of stories are, are necessarily going to happen going into the latter stages of the World Cup. No, it doesn't look that way. Uh, does it, Aiden? And Brazil today were just imperious. I mean, they uh, they took a whole bunch of players off. I think with about 20, 25 minutes to go, including Neymar and Richarlison, but four nil up at half time, and then just managed the game out in the second half. Yeah, and that's the type of performance that the neutral uh, just loves to see, isn't it? And we all hope to see it from Brazil tournament in tournament out. So um, it's nice when they actually do produce it, uh, and we do see that that dominant performance um, because. Yeah, there's some some great attacking teams in world football, but uh, Brazil romantically and uh, at the moment, you know, they're always great to watch. And um, but I think it is going to be a tantalising quarter final. I think up against Croatia, um, I don't know. I th- it wouldn't surprise me if that goes to extra time and penalties as well. I think Croatia are looking good. Uh, it's a tough quarter final draw for them, but hey, there's no easy quarter finals at the moment. So um, if Brazil can somehow unlock the door early. Uh, and get that gold lead, it could be quite difficult for Croatia. But I can see, I can see it going all the way. To be honest, I do fear for Neymar's injured ankle in that game. <laughs> I fear for any injury that man gets. It's just you know. He, he seems to suffer pain more than anyone else has seen. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, Ben, after the uh, after the first game of the World Cup. I mean, he set out the two group games because of an injury uh, against the Serbs, and it was just black and blue. How he came back and played this game, I'm not sure. Yeah, I did see it was it was absolutely massive, wasn't it? It was um, it was like a pregnant woman's ankle. I think <laughs> it, it was uh, huge. But yeah, it's uh, 
I find it tough to watch Neymar because he can be just so fantastic with the ball at his feet and then he just rolls around like, you know, a crying baby. So it's very, very difficult to watch. I'm just hoping tomorrow that we see Ronaldo knocked out, to be honest with you. Uh, that guy has just gone off the rails since uh, things haven't been going his way. It's kind of a an example of a of an aging footballer not doing so with uh, that much grace, which is a bit of a shame. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Aidan McLaughlin and Ben Strang from RNZ with us. And uh, Ben, we heard the news uh, late last night that Warren Gatlin was going to replace Wayne Pivak as the Welsh coach. Uh, Probably the most uh, predictable storyline this year in international rugby, do you think? Well, yeah, certainly Wayne Pivak being uh, being dismissed was very predictable. He's been under pressure for a long time. You can't you can't take a team like Wales and win three out of twelve games in a season. Really expect to keep your job, I don't think. Uh, whether Warren Gatland is the answer, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I realise he's their most successful coach of all time. You know, he coached the four Six Nations titles, two Grand Slams, uh, but is he still uh, what he was? Uh, yeah, I, I guess time will tell, but. I think Wales really needed a refresh rather than a rewind back to Gatland. Mm, yeah, it's an interesting point that, uh, Aidan. I, I had uh, Andy Howell, a Welsh rugby journalist, on earlier, and I'd been talking to Paul Williams, another, and they are both fizzing that they've got Gatland back. They, uh, they, it, it was even less about getting rid of Pivac, but just more so stoked that they had Warren Ball back. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, as Ben outlined, he's had so much success with Wales, um, but you, I personally felt that 2019 had just come to its natural end, um, you know, after 11, 12 years, whatever it was. Um, and sometimes they say you should never go back. Uh, so I think he'll bring stability. Uh, he'll be a, He's someone that can go in and he can make a difference quickly. I think he'll make them harder to beat. Whether that can translate into, you know... Um, making an attractive brand of rugby that's going to win the World Cup, I very much doubt in the, in the time period he's got and with the, the cattle he's got. But, um, yeah, I think he'll firm things up. Uh, it's interesting, I think, that um, as well as through to this World Cup, uh, he's got an option for another four years, which I was a little bit surprised at because, you know, the impression I got a few years ago when he, he came back to New Zealand that, hey, he was back in New Zealand to stay, apart from doing the Lions, obviously, which was already agreed. But, um, yeah, I'm a bit surprised that he's actually potentially going to commit for another four years after that, I guess. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But, yeah, it's. Um, I think it was the safe choice that, you know, Pivac had to go, really, uh, with that record. And if they're looking around, go back to what you know. Mm. It's interesting. I talked to Martin Gillingham. Uh, English rugby commentator Ben last week and he wasn't convinced that Steve Borthwick is the answer to replace Eddie Jones um, and as I mentioned Andy Howell was on this morning earlier and he said that the option thing he thinks goes more in Gatlin's favour than in Welsh rugby's favour because he says if he if he turns this around in a year and they have a decent World Cup uh, then potentially England might still be looking for a coach and he has been linked there before. Yeah, I guess you could you could certainly see that. I, I I would agree with that on on Gatland. I mean, he's got you know what nine months until the World Cup, so it's not a huge amount of time to turn it around. And if, if it doesn't work out, uh, he's not going to necessarily face the blame. He hasn't had this whole World Cup cycle to try to turn them around, so it's it's probably fairly risk free and fairly financially lucrative for him. So I don't 
uh, blame him for that. And if it is a massive success, absolutely, he could uh, he could see another job come along, or um, maybe that four years will be quite uh, extra four years will be quite fruitful for him. I'm I'm very interested in what happens with this whole Eddie Jones saga. Obviously, it looks like he's gonna. Um, be be rid of his England job fairly soon. Uh, whether we see Borthwick or whether we see Scott Robertson actually get a chance, who knows? Um, I, I absolutely would love to see Robertson get a shot with that England team. I, 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 I'm sort of fearful of how good they could be, but uh, but it'd be fascinating to watch. Well, that's the thing. I mean, everybody's saying, you know, Borthwick is a, a dinosaur. He's even more boring than, than Warren Ball. Uh, it'll be very traditional 10-man rugby. Uh, that was Gillingham's point. He said it was a step backwards. So it will be interesting. Uh, maybe this is a, an opportunity for New Zealand rugby to tie things up because I don't know if you saw it, but Warren Gatlin spoke this morning to the media and he said there's one person in New Zealand who's been incredibly successful in Razor. He deserves an opportunity. He's the one standout. They should be doing all they can to keep him, Aiden. Yeah, and I was a bit surprised he came out so strongly, to be honest. I guess he's, you know, he's leaving these shores. He's uh, come to an agreement with New Zealand rugby, so he can say what he wants now. But um, I thought it was interesting that uh, it's almost as if um, Foster is not even going to get an opportunity, you know, whether he wins the World Cup or not, uh, not even going to get an opportunity to reapply for that job. That's the way it's feeling to me at the moment. Just the, the things that are coming out of New Zealand rugby, yes, they're not uh, definitive by any means and they've got to, you know, be careful what they say. But you just get the feeling that this time it's going to be different to 2019 and they're going to be a bit more decisive and crucially they're going to be decisive earlier. So I think that uh, when someone like Gatlin comes out and says it, and he probably represents a lot of people in New Zealand, if not the majority of rugby fans, yeah, I think it's 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 time that uh, things are going to change for New Zealand rugby, and we'll, we'll probably get that Robertson appointment, hopefully. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Ben? Because I think um, at the end of the last World Cup, we were in a situation where anybody who was an option to take over as All Blacks coach other than Ian Foster already had another job. So is this a case of New Zealand rugby have actually learnt the lesson? Uh, possibly. I, just from a personal perspective, if, if I'm Scott Robertson, I'm wondering what loyalty I should have to New Zealand rugby, mm. the way that things have panned out over the past few years. The fact that you know, there's reports that he was called into a meeting and told, okay, who's your coaching team for the All Blacks? You'll be taking over. And then a week later, oh, actually, sorry, mate, you're not going to be taking over, but we're going to take some of your coaching stuff. Um, why would I stick around? I understand it's a, a dream to coach the All Blacks, and, and yes, the opportunity may be coming up, but also what does he think of the playing stock at the moment? Because as poor as Ian Foster may have been, the playing, um, the playing stock isn't the same as it was uh, 10 years ago, for instance, we don't have, you know, five to 10 world-class players on the pitch. We've got maybe one in Adi Savia. So uh, does he see an opportunity further down the track being better for him? Uh, that that Those are the things that I'd be thinking about if I was Scott Robertson. Mm. Yeah, I guess if, if the mail is correct that Steve Borthwick takes over, it's just where else does he go? Uh, I mean, there's been a little bit of talk that maybe the Wallabies are a chance, but I mean, geez, if you want to talk about working with limited cattle, uh, he's far better here than he is there, isn't he, Aiden? Yeah, for me, I think Razor, it's England or the All Blacks. Um, I just, I think he'll have watched Dave Rennie's experience over the last four years, and Dave Rennie's a hell of a coach, and um, he's not been able to get them firing as much as he would have liked. So uh, Robertson will be cagey enough to, to realise that 
yes, he might get a, a, an offer from Rugby Australia and they might make it very attractive for him, but but potentially it's four years in the nicest possible way, four years wasted when he could be in a more uh, promising situation with England and their player pool or the All Blacks. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on this one. It's going to rumble on a bit longer. Hey, gentlemen, before we go, we should talk sevens. Uh, New Zealand dropped from the Sevens World Series. Kind of felt inevitable. Uh, Wellington, you know, sort of eventually fell off a cliff. They took it to Hamilton. That didn't really work either. I mean, outside of taking it to Auckland, I don't know what else they could have done, Ben. No, no, exactly. And the way World Rugby are taking things with the Sevens World Series, it, it feels a little bit like Formula One's approach. Um, they're they're going to be taking it to glitzy locations like, you know, obviously Dubai and Hong Kong are already on the circuit, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Las Vegas return or uh, heck, Miami or, you know, Rio, um, Cape Town. You know, these sorts of locations appear to be the ones that they want to go to. And I understand why as well. Um, the money's there. They're wanting to grow the game using sevens. It's an Olympic sport. Um, and the other thing, of course, is this is actually a really, really good thing for women's rugby, the fact that they'll be lining up at every single tournament as well. So completely understandable from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you line it up, it, it does make sense. I mean, Las Vegas, Cape Town, Rio, Hamilton, doesn't quite fit, does it, Aidan? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Uh, Hamilton, Scotland or Hamilton, New Zealand doesn't really work either way, I don't think. But I think it's it's refreshing, though. You know, less is more sometimes. And the fact that they're going from 11 events to seven shows that they, they value the product, but they don't want to oversell it. And if they if they just consolidate and they can sell a tournament that has men's and women's tournaments, because it was getting confusing for a while, wasn't it? You know, there's a sevens tournament coming up. There's no women involved. Or there is this week. Or there isn't next week. So it's all got a bit confusing. But, yeah, I think... If they can really, World Rugby can really um, nail this format, um, then I think it's a good thing for Sevens because with it being an Olympic sport, it really is a brand, unfortunately it is a brand, that um, they can sell and make really popular and see grow. And uh, finally, uh, Kurt Baker calling it a day. Uh, where does he sit for you, Ben, in the, the pantheon of Sevens greats, the Eric Rushes and things? Is he is he there or thereabouts? I don't think he's quite at that level. You know, I, I think of DJ Forbes, Eric Rush, um, those sorts of guys as being the, the true greats, but he'd be one step down. He's um, He's been a fantastic servant for the New Zealand Sevens team. He has probably been a little underrated uh, in his ability. He's been sort of the glue for that team for a very long time. He, he is uh, generally mistake-free when he's playing. He's helped the whole team click. And obviously he's had the chance to tickle the back of quite a few nicks in those celebratory <laughs> photos. Um, so, no, he's he's been a fantastic player and it will be a shame to, to see him uh, hanging up his boots. Yeah, it'll be a few teammates to be pleased not to have the back of their necks tickled. Uh, Aidan, uh, how about you for Kurt Baker? Yeah, I agree with Ben. Uh, I think the, the other interesting thing about his career today, and I think he's only retired from sevens international uh, rugby, but um, he's played 70 provincial games for the likes of Manawatu, Taranaki, and he won a ran for early shield with Hawks Bay a couple of years ago um, when he had that uh, another iconic photo opportunity with the shield in hand. Um, and he also played seven matches for the Maori All Blacks. So, uh, yeah, a, a, an excellent career over, you know, the last 14, 15 years. And, um, yeah, be interesting to see if he plays a bit more provincial rugby for the next few years. Yeah, or maybe he just takes the full Monty on the road. Who knows? Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time on the panel today. Uh, really appreciate it. Go well. Cheers, Ricardo.
Yes, Ben. Yeah, thanks, Aidan. Uh, this is SENZ. It is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We are 17 away from 11. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yeah, the Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming and Louis Herman Watt will be right amongst it. G'day, Louis. How you doing? Yes, very good, Rick. That's the story, mate. What do you got for us today on the Love Racing Update? Uh, well, today it's, it's quiet, mate. They've got the trials out at Mutu, and then tomorrow it's a, uh, a nice day in the central district there at Hastings. Hopefully the weather is fine and summer is fully upon us. Friday at Tauranga, then Saturday, one of the rare days where you have three thoroughbred co- uh, meetings on at the same time, so... From bottom to top, we've got Ascot Park, which is in Invercargill, Awapuni, of course, Palmy North, and Tarapa here in Hamilton. And Tarapa at Hamilton has got the feature meet of the day, the Kawai Zuzu Stakes, which is that really nice race for the Phillies and Mears over the mile for $140,000. Uh, it's Waikato Cup Day, though. That is their feature. It's their big party day. Lots of people come out and go to the Cup at Tarapa from Hamilton and the J-Swap Sprint for the good sprinters over 1,400. And Bully is on the street that Tony Kent Cinerama is going to be lining up in the Izuzu Stakes. And without knowing exactly the calibre of the field, it'll be handy for sure. She will probably be starting favourite to just after her last start. Yeah, well, that's good to know. Uh, Kempi uh, making some bang, is he? He actually is. I mean, the mayor's been super, super, super good to him. Um, and she's in full to Tarzino. So himself, Bruce Sharrick, Alan Sharrick, the crew that they have together, Dewey Syndicate, uh, will be breeding from her and they'll race on. Tarzino fold Derby winners, uh, sorry, sired Derby winners for fun last season. And she looks like she does her best work between that mile and 2,000 metres. So as we've talked about and joked about, Kimpy could have a future Cox Plate winner on his hands very shortly, uh, just knowing how well she has done as a race mare. And again, this weekend she'll be really hard to beat, mate. But I'll bring you those markets. What's tomorrow? Wednesday we'll have the fields. And Thursday when we chat, we'll have the markets for all of the action on Saturday. Yeah, sounds good, Louis. Hey, listen, mate, you, you sound a bit croaky. You might need to go and lager that voice uh, just, to, just so it's all nice and smooth for tomorrow morning. Yeah, lager might be the issue. <laughs> Go well, Louis Herman Watt on the Love Racing Update. Eat, drink and get racy with Louis Herman Watt. Round up your crew and book now at grandtour.nz. Brennan Popperwell joins us from the TAB. And uh, B-Pops, how has the round of 16 at the World Cup gone for you versus the group stages? It feels a bit more predictable now. Yes, yep. Punters uh, are certainly on good terms with themselves at the moment, uh, Rick Dog. Uh, the favoured punters are, are really chiming in here. And, and that's what we've seen. A lot of multis have rolled through. But just a, a number of the big punts are starting to roll through as that form starts holding up. So, uh, yep, certainly at this stage, uh, you'd have to say the ledgers with the punters. Good little bonus back opportunity too, um, Ricardo, if, if punters aren't aware of it now that we've moved into this stage of the tournament. If you have a bet on the two qualify um uh, prospects. I looked at the Morocco game v Spain. Morocco four ten, Spain a dollar nineteen. And if you have a bet on either of those two sides and they lose an extra time or in a penalty shootout, you get your money back up to fifty dollars as a bonus bet. And of course, those that back Japan uh, in that particular um, option 
got themselves some bonus dollars back. So that's um, something to look out for throughout um, these matches now. What I can say as well, um, Ricardo, that punters are very keen to chime into a Spain-Portugal multi. They look to be the two that punters are getting around. 70% of our head-to-head betting on Spain, who are at $1.57. And in the Portugal match, uh, Ronaldo's getting back first goal scorer boosted at $7. And 3-0 Portugal. Uh, we've had a bit of money around that correct score. Uh, which is currently at fifteen dollars. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I did like that. I actually uh, was having a look, and uh, I, I also like Portugal, Switzerland, uh, particularly the way that Ronaldo seems to lose his balance at times. Uh, a penalty, a penalty to be awarded at three dollars. Oh, okay. Well, I'm liking what you're putting down there, Ricardo. I mean, of course, you're a man in form. You brought the money in for the punters yesterday, so uh, there's probably no reason why punters don't want to follow you in there. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yesterday was uh, well. This morning was a good one. I I picked the uh, the game to go to penalties between Japan and Croatia, and had Richarlison to score uh, on top of a basket. An NBA bet that came in and returned 18s. Um, and tomorrow, mate, I've I've gone Spain to win to nil, Portugal, or for there to be a penalty in Portugal, Switzerland, and the Clippers yeah. to win today against the Hornets as well, which I think is returning about 10 bucks at the moment. Oh, look at this. Gee, Smithy's going to have to up his game when he comes back. He's going to have to get away from those $2.50 multis. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here comes Ricardo with double figures. Um, setting the tone. Good stuff. Hey, before we leave it there, Ricardo, too, uh, Monday Night Football, I can tell you the money here is all around the Bucks. Pundas want uh, the Bucks at $1.51 against the Saints. And I thought there was an edge in the market around Tom Brady. A lot of projections that I've been reading that they believe he'll throw 300-plus passing yards. He's 266.5 at $1.87 to be over that uh, passing yardage. Yeah, good stuff, V-Pops. Thanks, mate. Uh, we'll have a look at that uh, tomorrow and see how Brady goes up against um, the Saints. It is nearly 11 o'clock. We're going to be talking World Cup football with Dan O'Hagan out of the UK shortly. You can watch a bit live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Yeah, this is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo, in for Smithies away until 2023. Uh, so we'll have him back then, course over in Oz at the moment, part of the Fox Sports team covering that Wendy's Australia series. Uh, now there was a game of uh, World Cup football this morning earlier than the Brazil-South Korea one and uh, man, it was full of drama. It was uh, Croatia taking on Japan and it went the distance. So a corner here for Japan, taken short by Ito, popped into the back post, header is just off target from Japan. It was Shogo Taniguchi, the centre-back, who rose highest. And they've been caught on the ball here, Tomiyasu's given it away, here's Ivan Perisic. Perisic sizes it up, saved by Gonda. One-on-one save, Petkovic is in the box, there's a lot of Japanese players crowding the area, and Gonda falls on the ball. Maida who drops in, opens up some space for Ritsu Dwan, and now Junior Ito on the right flank. Maida's inside the box, Ito gets towards him, to the back post, it's beaten two Japanese onrunners. It was a tasty cross from Junior Ito. Swings it across the face of Yoshida, over to the right centre-back, to Tomiyasu, and now onto Ito, who's pushing past, gets a cross in, and it was straight through the hands of Dominic Livakovic, and up into his chest, the goalkeeper. Here comes the third one now, Batisic gets it in the box again, takes a touch, at the back post and it's missed. The ball stays alive for a moment. It was Kramanich who missed it. And oh, he's backheeled it wonderfully well. Now it's Dazen Maida. Squares a 
it to Endo. Endo cuts on his left foot. In behind the defence. Marina pulls the trigger and it's over the crossbar. Corner from the right side. Duan takes it short. Kamada goes infield to Ito. Duan gets it in at the back post. Bobbles around and Japan do score. It's Dazen Maida. Left-footed shot inside the 18-yard box. And all that pressure from Japan finally results in a goal right before halftime. And now a long ball from Lovra to the back stick and a lovely header. Oh, it's a bullet. It is a sublime header from Ivan Perisic, who knows how to score goals at the World Cup. It falls kindly to Wataru Endo, who steps onto the right foot, takes a shot, and it's saved by Dominic Livakovic. And in the air, he goes Modric with a strike. Oh, beautiful save. Unreal save from Shuichi Gonda. Modric absolutely lashed the cover off that from outside the box. It just fell to him. It took a touch, and Shuichi Gonda got his left ha- left hand over the top and got it around the post and over the crossbar. And the referee blows on his whistle to end the 90 minutes, but that is not the end of the game. In the knockout phase, we are off to extra time. Here goes Matoma, getting closer to the box. Matoma cuts in. Matoma with the right-footed shot, and it's parried away by Livakovic. Tasked with a long throw inside the box. Juranovic brings it into the front post, comes up off a Japanese player, and it's into the hands of the keeper, Gonda. Tries to hold it up, he does, but the pass evaded Ito, and now they go again. Here's Lovro Meyer with the shots, and it's to the left of the goals. Japan with the first penalty take. It'll be Takumi Minamino against Dominic Livakovic. Minamino on the right foot, and it's been saved by Dominic Livakovic. Kaoru Mitoma, next up for Japan. Right-footed strike, and it's been saved again by Livakovic. He has guessed right again. So it's 2-1 in the shootout after three each. Here's Mai Yoshida, the captain of Japan. It's been saved by Dominic Livakovic. Mario Pasalic steps up against Gonda, and he's put it down the left side, and Croatia are through to the quarterfinals. And they are through to the quarterfinals where they will meet Brazil, who, of course, uh, triumphed over South Korea 4-1 in the later kickoff. Joining us now to talk the World Cup out of the UK is Dan O'Hagan. G'day, Dan. How are you? I'm pretty good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. Uh, That was a Brazilian performance that uh, we probably haven't seen enough of in recent World Cups because that's the Brazil that people expect, but maybe we haven't seen too much of, particularly under Scolari. Yeah, the first half was phenomenal. That first maybe 35 minutes, Brazil, they hit their groove. They scored some truly beautiful goals. Um, the 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 third goal Brazil scored tonight was just a work of art. The intricacy, the technique, the finish from Richarlison was incredible. And it's a goal we'll be seeing again and again for years and years. It was, for me, one of the great World Cup goals. And yeah, that, that first half was the Brazil of old and one we haven't seen you know in recent years often enough but when they do turn it on as in that first half today Brazil are boy yeah they they are amazing they are a force of nature and uh Richarlison you'd have to say uh candidates for um goal of the tournament I mean that first goal that he scored in the in, in the opening game and this one probably the two best goals so far yeah you know we forgot the the, the goal he scored early on that uh, super overhead kick in uh in Brazil's first game. So, so yeah, I think Richarlison, um, okay, they've been without Neymar for a couple of the group games. He came back tonight. But, um, yeah, Richarlison has more than stepped up and, and been well worth his place and scored some, as you say, incredible goals in this World Cup. And we had the other uh, the other quarterfinal uh, 
quarterfinal matchup, of course, decided with Croatia getting in over Japan. As we heard on the penalty shootout, they will play Brazil. Of course, they were finalists at the last World Cup. I don't think Brazil will be able to pass through them quite like they passed through South Korea. That midfield probably, for me, is still the best at the Cup. Yeah, Croatia are a very strong side. Obviously, they made the final uh, at the last World Cup four years ago. Uh, very seasoned squad players who play at top clubs. You know, you mentioned their midfield. Uh, Luka Modric, still a wonderful, wonderful footballer. And yeah, they'll make it tough for Brazil. I think Brazil will have enough to beat them. Um, I, I think on current form, uh, Brazil have to be in the top three um, contenders along with... Uh, maybe in England or or a France. Um, but yeah, Croatia will certainly be a much more stern test than the, the Koreans were tonight. Yeah, I think so, mate. On that, I mean, obviously England and France will play each other. A lot has been made of um, how England will contain Mbappe. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Kyle Walker's obviously uh, pretty important there. What's, this, uh, what's the consensus? Uh, do you think... Uh, Southgate will stick with a back four that he's had all World Cup, or do you think against a team he's going to have less ball, he'll play that back three with the wingbacks? No, I, I think Southgate will be a creature of habit and will pretty much keep the same system and pretty much the same team he has uh, for the earlier games in the competition. Um, I, I think we know that France are an excellent side, but um, England have shown themselves, you know, the, no team will be watching this World Cup and, and fancy playing Gareth Southgate's England. Uh, 12 goals so far, eight different goal scorers. Um, so we can talk about Mbappe and France being the team they are, and they are a great team, but England as well. The French will be will have their own concerns and their plans for how they contain the likes of um, Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane, Bukaya Sacco. So, so yeah, I think um, you know we can talk about France and all the skills and the players they have, but England too will have more than enough firepower to give the French a few problems. Yeah, and that is a thing that has actually come through this World Cup, and it almost feels like it's uh, it's happened by accident uh, in terms of uh, the way that Gareth Southgate's hit on the best midfield combination. You know, when he plays that three-man <laughs> midfield, you know, it's often been Mount or Foden that's played that ten role. But really, he's given Bellingham a bit more of a sort of an eight and a half. Nine sort of you know sort of eight and a half sort of role and uh, with Henderson in there that sort of freed him up and that that seems to be the best mix with Rice in front of the defence. Absolutely, I think uh, we saw in the game um, last night. Okay, Senegal weren't an especially strong opponent, but yeah, Bellingham has come of age of this World Cup. He's 19. Um, I'm lucky enough to see him most weeks in the Bundesliga, and we've had him there for three years now, and he's been absolutely superb. And that partnership with uh, Jordan Henderson, the kind of almost master and apprentice uh, last night was wonderful. And uh, yeah, Bellingham, I think, uh, will be not just at this World Cup, but for many, many years to come, one of the top midfield players anywhere in world football. I mean, the the big question now is, which club does he go to in the next <laughs> transfer window, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it'll be January. It's probably more likely to be the European summer that he moves. But Liverpool have been linked a long time. I know United have, have been linked. Uh, so have Chelsea. But now you would expect the likes of potentially Bayern or, or even Real Madrid to maybe start sniffing around. Yeah, I, I hear that the players' own preference would be Liverpool. Um, Bellingham is a player who is very studious. He is very aware of traditional football clubs and wants to be a part of, I think, a club of tradition. And he would see Liverpool as being a club to fit that bill. 
Um, whether they could afford him or not, um, we'll have to see. Obviously, there's talk of Liverpool and a potential change of ownership. Um, and Bellingham, Dortmund almost, you know, name their price now um, on the back of the World Cup, on the back of a wonderful season in the Champions League and the Bundesliga. Bellingham is now going to be one of the most expensive players anywhere in world football. So, uh, you know, for Dortmund and for Bellingham, it's a great position to be in. But my hunch would be Liverpool would be his preferred destination. Yeah, all right. Well, that, we'll have to see how that uh, battle goes because no Pogba, no uh, N'Golo Kante. France's number one midfield hasn't been there, but it hasn't been a problem for this for them so far. Adrian Rabiot has been one of their most consistent players, strangely, um, given, you know, sort of his profile previously. Uh, is that? Do you think where that game is going to be won? Yeah, I think the midfield is going to be key. And you mentioned there, Rabio. It is an amazing um, about turning fortunes. This is a guy who, at the last World Cup, wouldn't be on the French standby list. He said no. Um, so obviously, he and Didier Deschamps have buried the hatchet, and you know France are, are, are kind of bearing the fruit of that. Um, but yeah, that midfield is going to be a, a fantastic battle on Saturday, uh, England against France. You know the Bellingham, Rabio, Henderson combination. It's going to be one of the key games of this World Cup. And as I say, for me, the three best teams in it are England, France and Brazil. And we're going to lose one of those teams on Saturday. We are. Uh, the other quarterfinal, of course, that we know at the moment uh, takes me back to one of the standout games of the 98 World Cup, uh, which was the Dutch against Argentina. Uh, these teams, I, I think, are going to be pretty close. Uh, I mean, it could just be as obvious as it sounds that Messi is the difference. Yeah, you mentioned that game in 98, that wonderful Dennis Bergkamp goal. Um, yeah, but this one, I think every Argentina game now, it carries this this weight of history. Is this going to be Messi's year? And they've not played well so far, but they've done enough to win matches. Uh, Australia gave them a good game uh, in the round of 16. In the group, we saw obviously the, um, the um, they lost their first game. Um, and then had to kind of really battle to get through. But as I say, this kind of messy, um, is this his year? And game by game, they'll do all they can to get him through. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. It's going to be, you know, the Dutch haven't really caught the eye as we thought they might do. I mean, they've had, had a good competition so far. I think Cody Gakpo has been for them their breakout player. But um, I don't know. I just think in this one, Argentina, because of the messy factor, might just have enough in it to... It may go all the way to penalties, but they may have enough, I think, to scrape through to the semi-finals. Well, it's where they a... might play Brazil. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, and what a semi-final that'll be, mate. Uh, we should have a look at tomorrow's games. Uh, Spain, Morocco uh, has a, a bit of a David and Goliath feel to it. Um, the Moroccans surprised a lot in, in the group ga- uh, group stage, but I think they just won't have enough ball against Spain, will they? Yeah, you, you'd think that, but. It's been a World Cup of shocks, we know that, but I think now we're in the knockout phase, no second chances. I don't think there'll be a shock here. I think Spain will have enough. We saw in Spain's first game when they put seven goals on Costa Rica, we thought, hey, this Spanish team is going to be you know, hard to contain. They've got nowhere near those standards since, but I'm just sure they'll have far too much from Morocco and they will take their place in that quarterfinal. In that, uh, quarterfinal. Yeah, and whether that's against the Portuguese or the Swiss, we'll have to find out tomorrow morning. I mean, it feels like uh, Tito Santana, the um, uh, Portuguese manager, is coming to the same conclusion that Eric Ten Hag did, and that's that his team actually performs better without Cristiano Ronaldo in it. Yes, um, I think this is a game I think can go either way. You look at the 
the Portuguese team. And yeah, OK, Ronaldo's got a couple of goals at this World Cup, but his influence is nowhere near what it has been um, for years and years. So he's clearly a player who has had his best days. He can still be a, an important player for Portugal at this World Cup, but don't rule out the Swiss. You know, that is a squad chock full of players who play for good clubs in good leagues. They're a wonderfully organised team. Uh, they had a great Euro um, two summers ago as well. Um, and I, I, I don't think this is at all a given that Portugal will go through to play Spain uh, in the next round. I think um, I think this could be a game where the Swiss maybe bring Ronaldo's World Cup career to maybe a crashing conclusion. It would be a crashing conclusion as much as it would be if Tito Santana was the Portuguese coach. Of course, he's the former, <laughs> former wrestler. I'm thinking of Fernando Santos. I don't know, I'm getting my my uh, my names mixed up. Sorry about that, uh, Dan. Uh, well, I know you call Bundesliga a lot, mate, and you know a lot yeah. of those Japanese players play in that. And, of course, even more of those German players play in it. Where to now for the German national team after back-to-back World Cup failures? Yeah, we hear tonight that the um, the national sporting director, Oliver Bierhoff, has uh, stood down after 18 years with the German FA. Um, it's a funny one because a lot of the German public almost boycotted the competition. They didn't watch the games on television. Viewing figures have been way down in Germany for this World Cup. But no one thought that team would go out in the group stage of what was, I think, a fairly benign group for them on paper. Everyone thought they would finish with Spain in the top two. Um, but here they are, you know, they went out in the in the, in the, the first round for the second time uh, in the last half a century or so. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a wake-up call. I don't think that the squad balance was right. I think they went there with no recognised fit right back. They decided at the last minute to bring in Nicolas Fulcrook to the squad as a proper number nine. Okay, you can say they lost the likes of Timo Werner injured before the competition even started. But I just think that squad was imbalanced. There were one or two players who maybe um, were over the hill. The likes of Thomas Muller, I think, was maybe playing one World Cup too far for him. But I, I just I just think Germany will look back on this World Cup and say, okay, we went out, but we got our squad selection quite badly wrong. Mm, yeah, indeed. All right. Good stuff, Dan. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, go well and enjoy the rest of the cup, eh? Thank you. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Uh, Dan O'Hagan there with us, football commentator out of the UK. He, he calls all the uh, Bundesliga for the English language uh, for the world feed for the Bundesliga. So you'll hear him often there on Sky Sports on their coverage of that. It is 19 past 11 here on SENZ. Yeah, this is SENZ, uh, six, uh, uh, so I was going to say six minutes away from the latest news and sport. A few texts through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Uh, these have come through. This uh, from Paul in Christchurch. Uh, reports in The Guardian suggest Eddie Jones is to be fired. Steve Borthwick to take over. We're now for Scott Robertson. Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. Uh, we did uh, mention some of that earlier, but yeah, I think it's uh, one to keep an eye on that one. Uh, this one from Brian. Morning, Ricardo. Obviously, the France versus England game will be the biggest match of the Cup so far. Although I backed France to go all the way, it would be great to see England get there. They have the speed and quality all over as well. as uh, as well. So it's mouthwatering stuff here. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game to call that one, Brian. Thanks for your text. And Chris is picking an upset tomorrow. The Swiss to beat Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal by a goal to nil. If you think that that is going to happen, it's certainly uh, paying okay at the TAB because uh, Portugal are big favourites in that game for tomorrow. The Portuguese are $1.83. Switzerland are 4 dollars They're certainly the value, Logan.
Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was a little bit distracted there because we we're uh, already planning ahead for the next shows. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though, Ricardo. Mm. Um, I, I, potentially, this could be a new segment and idea. Um, yeah. I'm throwing it around. Uh, the True Lies. Do you remember the movie? Yeah, I do remember the movie. Great movie, True Lies. So we, we tell stories. We tell little porkies here and there about our athletic prowess. Um, I recently found uh, a trophy from the year 2000 where I was the MVP of my hockey team. And I was oh, like, oh, wow. well, that's cool. Okay. Um, so that's uh, a little bit of credit there. But biggest sporting lies that you want people to believe. <laughs> there's one. Um, I'm sure you might have some, Ricardo, from your footballing days. Mate, I never tell a lie about my achievements <laughs> on the field. Don't you worry about that. Well, there's one here from uh, dear friend of the show, Kirsty Sadaway, on the run home uh, last night with uh, Mitch McLean and uh, Manaya Stewart. This is what she had to say about uh, her, her golfing prowess. I actually went out on the golf course and played for the first time today with my coach. I played, Did you? I played four holes. Did you? I was quite impressive. Go? Oh yeah, what'd you shoot? No, I we didn't play like that. It was just me and him playing for four holes. But off a par four, I drove two hundred and eighty. Nah, you're lying. I you swear, you are lying. Okay, we need to get nah, him on the program. This is a lie. I swear. This is a lie. So I can tell you that but how I. How many pars did you hit? I bounced off the path. No, or? it didn't. It was it was just a solid clean hit. Two eighty, that's Manaya. He was honestly. You just you just okay, didn't curse. Okay. You just guys, didn't. Look, one eighty, I'll give you. Mate, if you, if you were in sunburn, if you were in sunburn, you'd be going red right now. No, I swear to God, two eighty. He was like shocked, and we drove the golf cart to this ball because you can't tell when you're on the what is it called. Where you drive on the tee. Yeah, on the yeah. tee. When you're on the tee and you look down, you can't tell how far it was. So I thought it was like halfway between the the tee and the hole, but it was far further. And we got to where my ball was. He got his rangefinder out, shot back. It was 283. All right, double eight, double three. Oh. Text in if you believe cursed or not. 280 meters. And I sunk uh, two putts on the button both okay. times. Now we're getting so 280 meters on a par four. Were you past the green? Very good question there, Manaya, and and I, I'm with Mitch. Uh, Ticked us on double eight, double three. <laughs> Do you believe that? True lies, uh, biggest sporting lies that we want people to believe. Two hundred and eighty meters, of course. Uh, in golf, we measure more in yards. Three hundred and six yards. What is a par four? You wonder. Well, it can range. Uh, this is going from uh, playing off women's tee. Typically, these are just guidelines, they're not rules, but 200 yards to 420 yards. So if <laughs> Kirsty actually did hit 280 metres, there was every chance there that she did overshoot the green. But I just, I don't I don't believe it, uh, Ricardo, especially when she didn't know what the name of a tea was. <laughs> I, I did laugh. I did laugh. Uh, yeah, that is a long hit. That is a long hit. Um, I'm not saying she couldn't do it. But if that's your first time, go, that's your first go round. Yeah, check that club. Yeah, that I don't know what you're using. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, that almost feels like you uh, you stuff the ball down the barrel of a shotgun rather than actually hit one off the tee, right? We do have a lot of golf fans and people that play golf that listen to the show. So I'm curious what their uh, longest drives are if, if they're hitting the astronomical marks that uh, Kirsty Stanway uh, is saying that she can reach. And uh, good friend of the show, Greg Mooney, long drive champion. Uh, I'm sure he, he could definitely hit harder than that. 
It makes me wonder, Ricardo, maybe we should do an SNZ-wide um, long drive championship. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. I, I, it's, it depends. Is, is Mitch McLennigan considered part of the staff? Yeah, bring him on. Yeah, because I think he'll win. I'm already picking him to win. I'm, I, and and Kirsty last? Uh, I wouldn't say she's last, to be <laughs> fair. I mean, there's every chance that um, that I put it about 10 metres sideways um, and, and just end up in the nets, uh, to be <laughs> fair, because that's, that's just how my golf goes. But uh, Mitch McLennigan was in the same golf team at school, at college, as Ryan Fox. Mm. He's he's pretty handy, mate. He's pretty tasty, and he's a big unit too. What is he six four? And he's long levers, mate. That boy will be able to be be able to go long. Yeah, for sure. So let's make this happen. Long drive championship between the SNZ crew. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon we make that happen. Uh, I tell you what else. What we need to make happen. We need to make a hundred dollar TAB bonus bet disappear. We've got one up for grabs with stumped. Call now. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. If you want a chance at that, we'll do that right after the latest in news and sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball doing the goods here while Smithy is away in Australia. And Ricardo, I mean, we didn't play Stumped yesterday because we have a new tennis show, The Serve. Mm, on uh, Mondays, yeah. Yeah, on, on Mondays. Brought to our friends there at 1.NZ. Uh, Good, good first show, I have to say. I, I wasn't here, but I was listening in, and I, I like the seeming. Uh, you can't, you cannot be serious. <laughs> you cannot be serious. Oh, mate, that McEnroe quote is going to go down in history. Is it? Well, I mean, it already is. I mean, that must be <laughs> close to what forty years old now. Yeah. It's yeah. up there. It's up there. It's, it's, up there. it's a good one. But because we didn't play Stumped yesterday, uh, we're bumping it up. It's a hundred dollar TAB bonus bet Indeed. up for grabs today. Uh, first at the crease, we've got John from Christchurch. Come in, mate. Hey, fellas. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks, John. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Hard to complain on a lovely day down here. So, you know, all good, actually. All good. Actually, the tennis show was really good, too, boys. It was actually enjoyable. Oh, really good. Nice. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it, mate. That was our, that was our first <laughs> dig at it. It was really good. Yeah, good yes. Sweet, mate. Um, I know you're in Christchurch, so I was going to ask you, uh, Razor for the All Blacks gig, what do you reckon is going to happen? Gee, I don't know, mate. I, you know, I see last night reading the news that they're talking about. There's talk about Aussie as well. So, gee, I don't know. I, I think he'd be too loyal. But <laughs> I don't know. But then again, you, you've got to look after number one, don't you? And he wants another gig. So, um, gee, I don't know. Will mate, he hang around? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It'd be. Uh, I surely he'd just look at the you know sort of what happened with Dingo Deans and go maybe that's not the right move. Maybe I just need to bide my time. Well, he's got another, you know, probably another successful season or reasonably successful season with the Crusaders anyway. It's probably not that long to wait. So let's just hope we can hang on for another year and we've got him for, for the next four or five years, which would be fantastic with a good crew around him. All right, John, for Stump today, the topics you can choose from are the Softball World Cup, tennis, or the FIFA World Cup. Oh. Let's have a crack at tennis, though. <laughs> All right. With a long sigh like that, I do have to wonder if those are <laughs> your categories. All right. First one for you, mate. The ASB Classic uh, 2022 and 21 events were both cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you name either the men's or women's champion from 2020? Um, 2020. Well, I should actually be able to 
tell you that too. Um, men's, oh no, not going to be Isma. Um, well, let's go, Serena Williams. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, nicely done. And of course, in the men's draw, it was the Frenchman Hugo Ember. Yeah, yeah. Ricardo. I was a bit of a actually. Uh, well, I knew that because it was uh, one of our questions. And uh, you cannot be serious yesterday. Robbie, you're just recycling <laughs> questions here. Uh, well, okay. Second one for you, John. At the recent season-ending ATP Finals event in Italy, who was the final between? As in the means? Yes. Um, oh, that's what it means. Oh, Medvedev? Um, Medvedev. Oh, God, I should know this too. Um, like, I'm, I'm, so, John, I'm just going to put you out of your misery. One of the worst oh. things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Casper Ruud was in the final, um, and I think he played rougher. One of the worst oh. things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Correct. Casper Ruud was in the final. The other was... Uh, the Joker, Novak Djokovic. Joker, sharp. There you go. So you're still alive, John. $100 TAB bonus bet up for grabs here, mate. Six players have won 20 or more Grand Slams. That's insane. Uh, Margaret Court, Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal, Djokovic, Roger Federer, and who? Who is the sixth? Can you just repeat them, mate? Yep. Margaret Court, Serena Williams, Nadal, Djokovic and Federer. Who is the sixth? Um, who is the sixth? Serena Williams. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Nadal. Um, I'll go Sampras. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, Pistol Pete was definitely one of my favourites growing up, but Ricardo, not the answer I was looking for. No, Pete was, I think, finished at about 16, didn't he? 15 or 16. Um, I'm going to go back to the women's game and somebody who was really dominant in the 70s and 80s, Martina Navratilova. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, when you said, I'm going to the women's game, I thought, all right, here you go. You're going to be a, do a Smithy-esque wind-up and reveal the answer and completely stomp John. But no, the answer I was looking for was Steffi Graf. Ah. Oh, yeah. But hey, John, that does mean yeah. you still win. By the rules of stump, the $100 TAB bonus bet is yours, mate. I got one out of three, so that's uh, a little bit of comfort anyway, so that's quite good. Thanks, Ricardo. That's outstanding, mate. No worries, mate. Where are you going to put that hundy? Oh, I'm, not, I'm actually liking the uh, World Cup odds at the moment. There's some of those sort of like Switzerland, you know, and you get like those 2 1, 3 1, 4 1 odds at five, 5 bucks, 6 bucks. It's actually pretty good money to multi up, actually. So, um, yeah, I'll have a look at that and wait till um, the, all the results are in and um, we'll see the semi-finals, I think, mate. So it could be quite good with a bit of luck. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Oh, well, good luck on that, John. I hope it comes through for you.
Thanks, Bell. Appreciate it. Good no worries. Time. Go well, mate. Go well. Uh, a couple of texts have come through off the back of uh, our conversation earlier, Logan, about cursed. Hi, Ricardo. Recursed drive. Much doubt there. I work outdoors and I'm over six foot and hefty. I've only come close to that once, and that was at the height of summer, rock hard fairways downhill with a strong northwesterly behind me. Maybe her coach set her up. Lol. She is awesome, though, from Mikey G. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, perhaps new coach there just trying to, uh, you know, give a bit of confidence to the the new student there yeah yeah i think so i think that that, that could uh that could help uh zane's also texted through i'd be happy to join the team mornings with smithy as a pinch hitter after all you could claim i'm your regular on-course golf contributor very true uh, best i've hit is around 370 yards granted that was with a bit of a breeze by me on a very fast firm fairway but let's not focus too much on the semantics of how it actually happened yeah, considering the amount of time that Zane, uh, when he calls through uh, for talkback time, he's usually on on a par four or a par five talking to us <laughs> as we speak. So, yeah, no, he's definitely on our team. If, yeah. we, if we're taking one listener each, I'm taking Zane. You're taking Zane, yeah. I remember going to the driving range with my uh, my uncle was a golf pro. He um, he's and he was ex Auckland left hand champ as well, and he was giving me some lessons. And so I'm digging away with I think a seven iron, trying to get my swing right or whatever. And he just goes, "Oh, well, you work on that. Hit a bucket of balls. I'll just I'll just I'll just drive a couple here." And he's uh, we're at Tacker at the driving range at Tacker, and he's hitting the net at the back of the driving range on the full with his drives. And I'm like, "What's the, really? What's the point? What's the point?" Oh, man. Um, I had a, a text here from Kane as well. He said, hey, Rick Dog, uh, Portugal versus Switzerland. Uh, there's an option for a penalty to be given. Where can I find that? Uh, mate, if you go into um, you, where you see across the top, it says popular, boosted, power plays, goal, score, and then more. Click that and go to incident, which is right down the bottom, and there are two in incident, and penalty be, to be awarded, yes, is paying $3. That's where you can find it, mate. Um, so there you go. I hope that helps you, Kane. I hope that comes through if you're going to invest. It is 19 away from midday. Yeah, it is uh, quarter to 12, and a few more texts rolling through on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Hey, Ricardo, they contacted Curse Coach last night, and she actually hit 257 metres. The lads didn't believe that either, and neither does anybody else. Cheers, Graham. Uh, thanks for your uh, your message, Graham. Uh, also, uh, someone else, a rangefinder, 280 to the pin. Lol, a uh, no name attached. Uh, and this one, on the football, Southgate's negativity in the big games and the fact that England never win anything means I have to give France the, kin- the win comfortably. From Kevin, the cynic. The Kevin, uh, the cynic. Uh, thanks for your text. Keep them rolling through. Now, earlier today... Warren Gatlin uh, gave a press conference off the back of the news that he was uh, being released from his contract with the Chiefs, so he'd go and take over the Welsh. Uh, one of the questions he was asked was about his expectations with the Welsh team. I think for me, it's not it's not always talking initially about about results. What you want to see is performance. You want what you want to see is, in my experience in the past with the, the Welsh players. Was when they put their jersey on, you know, that they're the, the prepared to to go to the wall for you, and in terms of you know giving a hundred percent of their of their performance, and so that's what my priority is to try and create an environment where players believe in themselves, have the confidence to to go out and perform, and 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 as fans, they want to see those players giving a hundred percent, and that's kind of the starting point for me. Um, and with that, then comes you know hopefully results and. And then building into the World Cup, it's you know it's a tough, 
tough first up. We've got Ireland at home, but it's probably the best time to get them. They're the number one team in the world. And we've had pretty good success in the past against Ireland. So look, it's, it's about me going in there and hopefully creating an environment where the players build and, and confidence and we can create some expectations and, and belief that we can go and perform. There you go. So there it is. Uh, Gats talking about uh, his expectation with Wales. And, of course, he's been back here for a little bit of time now. He's had time to uh, absorb where the game is at in New Zealand. And he was asked about where he thinks New Zealand is at in terms of rugby. Obviously, you've got incredibly talented players and, and quality players. Um, I, think I think there's been a, a, a change in the world, the world dominance of, of New Zealand rugby. There's no doubt that COVID had an impact on on that. Uh, I had uh, coffee with uh, Felipe Contemponi um, after Argentina had, had beaten the All Blacks, and he made an interesting comment to me that he always felt that the All Blacks were always six months ahead of everyone else, and everyone was playing playing catch up. But he he kind of felt the All Blacks were the team that were playing a little bit of catch up at the moment. And um, some of the Northern Hemisphere teams, I thought, was a quite interesting comment. Um, and there are certain things that. Um, New Zealand are brilliant at in terms of the way, um, particularly say in set piece stuff, you know, for scrums and lineouts, they focus on that and how they're able to to give convert things and, and apply pressure in, in opposition twenty twos, and that's something that you know I'll be definitely trying to emphasise and, and work on when I get back. So there you go. That is uh, Gats having his uh, final say before he takes over uh, the Welsh team. And, of course, the news is uh, pretty firm that, even though it's not official yet, uh, that tonight, New Zealand time, Eddie Jones is officially going to be sacked as England coach. Uh, two international coaches in two days, Steve Borthwick, to take over. I know we'll have uh, some thoughts on that. And that is Mark Stafford. He is going to be with us shortly. We'll talk to him about that. And what excites him more? Warren Ball or Baz Ball? We'll find out next here on SCNZ. SENZ, this is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Five away from midday. Text that's come through from Craig. Hi, Ricardo. I find the term Warren Ball derogatory, almost offensive, yet baseball complimentary. I wonder why. It's from Craig, uh, a man who's probably going to be talking a lot of this on Midday Madness, I'd imagine, will be Mark Stafford. G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Jeez, there's so much happening. Exactly. Well, I mean, that was the, what I said to the panel. I said, do you want to start with Warren Ball or Basball? Because um, th- those are the two big things right now, uh, you know, outside of the World Cup. Yeah, and um, Craig's actually right. Warren Ball was a criticism, and um, Basball's is praise. It's it's funny, that, isn't it? Um, Warren Ball's been quite successful. Taz, yeah. Um, is it three Six Nations, two line? He coached on three lines to us, uh, a draw with the All Blacks in yep. a line series. He's a good coach. He's, well, I mean, you know, he has a certain style. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that he came back here and he failed with the Chiefs, though, isn't it? Yeah, that was funny what happened at the Chiefs. It was it was kind of weird. And then Clayton McMillan took it and COVID times and stuff like that and was really good. And they went, now what do we do with Gats? Yeah. Um, I had Andy Howell, Welsh rugby journalist on, he said in Wales, Gats is almost, uh, he's got this um, way about him where some of the players in the Welsh team have never had a one-on-one conversation with him. Mm. He's very kind of, not unapproachable, but like held in this, and he says it's his way. He tells them what they do, and that's, he said it's quite different from how New Zealand, so maybe that approach doesn't work with New Zealand players, yeah, maybe. probably, yeah, probably. Now, I, I did a little bit with him um, when I was doing stuff at the TAB, and he was, 
one series he was a co-commentator or a comments guy or something like that. And I found him, I was quite surprised, really nice guy. And I, yeah. I thought he was going to be quite standoffish and um, introverted or wouldn't give much away. But he was great to sit down and have a yarn to, um, like most Kiwi blokes. So Wales, uh, it's a bit different, isn't it, from sacking, say, Fozzie and having a new coach come in that we've talked about, or even the way Rassi came into the South Africa last World Cup or Michael Cech of the World Cup before came in, because this is a team that he knows well. It's the players he knows well. So it's it's almost like he's just had a sabbatical and come back. Yeah, and it's almost like I think straight away all of the Welsh rugby fans and clearly the board and the executive, they're all on side and they know what they're getting. Um, what has he got? a month before the Six Nations start, so you can't expect um, rainbows when you've been given a wheelbarrow full of horse poo. Yeah. Uh, but he'll, he'll chuck everything at it. Um, I'll sit back and be really interested. But the cool thing, you know, Wales moved. They're the first to pull the trigger. Exactly. Um, I think they might have been slightly worried that England might have gone for him, to mm. be honest. Um, it, I talked to Martin Gillingham last week. He said Steve Borthwick's a step backwards for England. They need an international coach, but it looks like that's where they're going. Mm. Which is going to be interesting because at that, the way the World Cup draw works, Wales and England are on one side, uh, England and uh, New Zealand, France, Ireland, and South Africa are on the other. Um, so, man, I mean, it's set up potentially if he can find some cattle, Gats could have a decent shot. Well, semis, hey, yeah, um, and maybe a final as well. So, yeah, the big the big thing is what's England going to do? It sounds like Borthwick, doesn't it? it does uh, um, don't know who his cohorts will be whether they can try and convince Scott Robertson to come in in a co-coach type thing and then he can carry on post-World Cup. Um, it's just throw the balls in the air and no one knows where they're going to land. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. What do you got coming up on the show today? Well, we're going to talk on that uh, matter at a quarter past one to Georgina Robinson, Sydney Morning Herald rugby writer. She's a wonderful rugby writer. So probably more about what's happening in Australia with Dave Rennie and co, what she's heard, what she speculates will happen. So I'll talk about, there's so many things to talk about on the world coaching scene. Also going to join, uh, joined by Liam Santamaria. He's an NBL analyst at ESPN. Um, Molly Sparks, who we had on the show last week, he was getting ready for a 48-hour race through the mountains. She's the 19-year-old adventure racer. So they finished on Sunday. Uh, she's been out for a run today. Just crazy. <laughs> I said, are you, are you recovered enough? She just got back from a run. So we'll have her and Jimmy Smith across the ditch and a $350 vault. $350 TAB bonus bet. And I don't think it'll go today either. You don't think so? I don't think people are on the right track. Okay, interesting, (laughs) interesting. And uh, Midday Madness, of course? Just this coaching scenario, um, sort of open slalom. What do you make of it? Where's it going to land? Yeah, because I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Will Razor be the next All Blacks coach? Will he be the next Wallabies coach? Will he be the next England coach? I mean, those are the conversations. Uh, Midday Madness with Mark Stafford from Midday. This has been Ian Smith, Mornings on SENZ.